0: It's May 20th, 1988, and we're watching Willow. Welcome to... I used to like this one.
1: Hello, and welcome to used to like this one the show where we take a look back at movies we remember fondly from our childhood and attempt to look past the nostalgia to see if they still hold up i am your host sean wells and with me is my co-host hello i'm colin stewart and this week we want to welcome back a special guest who you may remember from our monster squad episode only three weeks ago author and host of the 13th hour podcast josh blum josh welcome back hey
2: thanks for having me
1: Yeah, you're our our first repeat guest, so you Uh, you always have that as part of your resume in the future.
2: (laughs) There you go. I don't need any. I've accomplished all I want to do in life.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So this week, we're looking back at May 1988, when the movies and theaters were Above the Law, Two Moon Junction, Colors, My Neighbor Totoro, Crocodile Dundee 2, and of course, our movie for today, Willow which earned 137.6 million dollars on a 35 million dollar budget.
0: I've literally never heard of any of those movies you just mentioned other than Crocodile Dundee obviously, but I've never watched that movie. Uh,
1: above the Law is Steven Seagal, so oh, figures. Yeah. <laughs> my my neighbor uh, Totoro is uh, is an anime movie. Uh, okay. precursor to Pokemon, maybe? I don't know. Interesting. <laughs> well,
0: as always, these th- movies and this movie, Willow, is 32 years old, so there will be spoilers ahead. If you don't want the movie to be spoiled for you, please just hit pause, go watch it, and then come back and hear what we have to say.
1: So the tagline that appears on the poster for this movie is... Well, I actually found four for this one, (laughs) and they get progressively worse. The the first is Beyond Good, Beyond Evil, Beyond Your Wildest Imagination. Next is Forget All You Know or Think You Know, which is something that the High Aldwin says at one point. Third, we've got (laughs) A World Where Heroes Come in All Sizes and Adventure is the Greatest Magic of All. And finally, and perhaps the most insulting, adventure doesn't come any bigger than this. <laughs> <laughs> but those may not be the best description of this movie. Even even if you add them all together, it doesn't really describe this movie fully. So let's go to call him for a 60-second synopsis.
0: It's kind of funny because synopsises, even reading other people's, are really... You can tell this movie is very hard to um summarize. Yeah. So I gave it my best shot. So here's my 60 second synopsis. All right. Willow tells the story of a hobbit, <coughs> I mean dwarf, who one day gets saddled with a baby that his children refuse to let just keep floating down the river Moses style. It turns out this baby is the one baby to rule them all and is prophesied <laughs> as being the one who will destroy the evil Sauron, <coughs> I mean Queen Bav Morda. <laughs> wants the baby, Alora Dannon, so that she can sacrifice her and take her power. When Willow and the Fellowship of the Baby are tasked with taking Alora to the human land so that she can be their problem instead of theirs, adventure
1: ensues. <laughs> so uh, I think you've already formed an opinion of this movie. Now, <laughs> now, you bring up Lord of the Rings an awful lot. Now, normally, I don't do this. But this week, I decided to write my own competing 60-second synopsis. It's hilarious that you brought that up before we actually said that, or before you actually did it, because this wasn't planned. So here's my 60-second synopsis. A young farmer goes on a quest to bring down the forces of evil with a special item. Along the way, he learns magic with the help from a sorcerer. After recruiting a scoundrel, reluctant hero for help and accompanied by a pair of plucky comic relief sidekicks, he joins in a battle that destroys the home of the evil sorcerer and learns how to be a great sorcerer as well. That's my 60-second synopsis. Willow, right? Actually, that's a synopsis for Star Wars. Mm. And that, that was something that I realized about halfway through this movie is that This is Star Wars.
0: (laughs) Well, it's kind of funny because like Star Wars is the archetypal hero's journey movie. Like it's basically all 12 points are hit and this movie is this exact same thing. They're very just like that hero's journey
1: plot. (laughs) So, Josh, we talked a little bit last time because, you know, as an author fantasy is your genre of choice so we we decided to bring in willow and bring you back because we thought this would be a perfect fit with you Uh, you you also mentioned last time you were on the show that part of your writing you were influenced by things like john hughes comedies and, and those kind of things to give it a bit more of a better depth in your in your stories that way uh what kind of influence was willow on you was this this one that was even part of that
2: yeah, so I actually, I, I believe I actually saw this movie in the theater. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think I'd always had a rather mixed um, experience with fantasy. And uh, I really, like I mentioned before, I would always really wanted to like it, but had uh, <laughs> not a whole lot of success, you know, actually getting into it. and uh, there were, But there were a lot of movies that, that were sort of, they were, I don't know, they were kind of aimed at kids, but they could be appreciated, I guess, by adults. Um, this is kind of one of them where it was sort of like fantasy light. You didn't really have to understand too much of uh what was going on because like if you looked at the plots of a lot of these movies, like they kinda of, like fall apart <laughs> if you to look too hard. But as a kid, you know, you you kind of miss a lot of that stuff and you're just there for the action or yeah visuals and that kind of thing. And that that's where it kind of fell into it for me where i really um i really liked the world that it was it was it kind of took me to that kind of place that i associated with fantasy that i didn't quite find in books that i was always looking for and i think that those kind of uh images and um and particularly also the music i, I think this it has a particularly good soundtrack at least in my opinion that
1: theme song for willow is one that i can hum to this day even though it's probably been years since i've watched it. that's one that stands out in my head that's for sure
2: yeah, I think it's like you know, from the opening scene, like I'm sure you guys talk about it. The opening scene with the paired with the soundtrack, it just evokes like it takes you into that mode of this is another world, and so um, that aspect of things like as a as a kid, I was always I was always I I you know I, I always really liked. And your description, I think, immediately the first thing I th- I think I thought of was Star Wars. Yeah, uh, with with that, I mean, you could just replace you know a sorcerer with Jedi, and there you go. Yeah, um, absolutely. But I mean, there was only like a couple of like pro- I mean properties and things like that, that I kind of had exposure to everything was kind of like more difficult to find and everything like that at the time. And so, um, when you found something that you're like kind of spoke to you, then you kind of held on to it. And so, I think that definitely I must have been like, I don't know, nine years old or something like that when I saw it. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, you know, you kind of held on to it. Um, So, when I rewatched it, I won't give my (laughs) my impressions of rewatching it now. But I mean, I had to try to really look past, uh, like a significant amount of like little kid nostalgia.
1: Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's what we're here for. Exactly. Yeah. I know that this is one of those ones that this is my introduction to Val Kilmer. I had not seen Top Gun before this movie. It was a few years later when I finally saw Top Gun that I went, oh, hey, that's Mad Mar- Martigan. You know, I didn't realize that it went the other way around. Colin, what about you? Do you have a history with Willow? Well, the movie, when the
0: movie came out, I was two years old. Okay. Or about to be two years old, I guess. <laughs> but I do actually have a, la- a long history with this movie because it was one of my mom's favorite movies. Willow was one of three movies that were basically on loop and for me in my childhood, along with Princess Bride and the Adam West Batman movie. Nice. So <laughs> nice. I do remember watching it quite a bit and and enjoying it a lot. Yeah. So... I was really happy that we got to finally watch a movie that I was at least so much familiar familiar with.
1: (laughs) But that's part of the charm of the show. Yeah. Well, okay, let's jump into Willow. Directed by Ron Howard, who is known for Splash, Cocoon, Backdraft, Apollo 13, all of the Robert Langdon, Da Vinci Code movies, and, of course, Solo, the best of the Star Wars. Oh, my (laughs) God. Produced by... George Lucas, and so for him, aside from the obvious Star Wars and Indiana Jones credits, he's also responsible for Tucker, A Man and His Dreams, Labyrinth, The Land Before Time, and, uh, Howard the Duck, so don't ever forget that. And, uh, it's also written by George Lucas. He gets the story by credit on this. He, he actually has 165 writing credits. But probably only about a dozen that are actual writing credits. The majorities are just those character based on or characters Mm. created by credits. And so getting the screenplay credit is Bob Dolman, who was a regular writer on SCTV, Far and Away, The Banger Sisters, How to Eat Fried Worms. And so, we open on exposition, superimposed on the screen. See, Willow is Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. Which reads, quote, In a time of dread, seers have foretold the birth of a child who will bring about the downfall of the powerful Queen Bav Seizing all pregnant women in the realm, the evil queen vows to destroy the child when it is born. And we watch as the child in question is born. It's a girl, Alora Dannon, who... Maybe not right at this moment, but eventually is played by Kate and Ruth Greenfield, and this is their only credit. But man, these kids are one cute baby. That is an adorable child. Like, not funny looking like the Olsen twins. (laughs) And she's just, she's so expressive. Like, how much patience was needed to get this performance? Like, there's so many times when it's obvious that it's just a doll that they're carrying around. But, like, to get some of those faces and some of those reactions, that must have been one patient set whenever one of those girls was on.
0: It's kind of funny because... I have critics reviews for later, but, and this one's, spoil well, the larger review, but one of them I read was Gene Siskel's review, and he really, like, took issue with the child and the their constant, like, close-ups on her facial expressions as they go out throughout the movie. Yeah. But, I mean, like, she has a cute baby, she's... so it's no wonder that they just use the moneymaker. <laughs> yeah, she's,
1: oh, absolutely. She's adorable. So, the child has the mark that was mentioned in the opening exposition. This is the child Queen Bavmorta wants and she's on her way to collect her but the midwife manages to sneak the baby out past the weird wart hard death dog things devil dogs. Devil dogs wart dogs (laughs) (laughs) and escape the castle. The credits start rolling and we watch a passage of time while the midwife takes the baby fucking everywhere. The landscape in this land changes so much.
0: I was gonna ask. I was watching that scene, and and I was trying to figure out if this was over time, or like how long do you think she was out there with this baby before they finally, the dogs finally get her?
1: Long enough for her to grow hair.
0: Yeah. Like was it?
1: <laughs> I th- I think it's a few months. Okay.
0: Yeah, I mean that baby is like a
2: couple. Of, it's like at least like three, three or four months old. I'm thinking. Yeah. Because you know, smile
1: and everything like
2: that. I mean, that doesn't happen to an <laughs> like a one. <day>. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So the ward dogs eventually have found her, and to protect Alora, she fashions a quick makeshift raft and floats Alora down the river, like Colin said in his synopsis, Moses style. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Alora is found washed up on the banks of the river by Rannon and Mims Ufgood, who are played by Mark Vanderbreak and Don Downing, and these are the only credits for both of them, too. <laughs> <laughs> who are the son and daughter of the outcast clown farmer willow Uffgood, who is played by warwick davis who was leprechaun in leprechaun one through six i didn't know there was six of those <laughs> uh, and he was in harry potter he played both grip hook the green god's goblin and professor flitwick he was in a series called life's too short which was something that actually followed him around as warwick okay, davis yeah. And, of course, he was in Star Wars, Return of the Jedi, Phantom Menace, Force Awakens, Last Jedi, Rise of Skywalker, Rogue One, and Solo. The only Star Wars he did not appear after Return of the Jedi were Episode 2 and 3 because he was busy with Harry Potter at that time. I didn't realize
0: that he was... Or I read that he was 17 years old when they made this movie. That
1: was my very next note. It blows my mind that he was only 17 years old. He looks old. He he, he does. <laughs> and I, I know that I tried and tried and tried to find out how old his wife was. And I couldn't find any birth date information for the actress that plays his wife. But I was just kind of curious whether she was also around 17 or whether she was much older because there are some parts where she looks much, much older yeah. than Warwick Davis.
0: But he's he's not even that much older than his kids. No. I think
1: he's only like nine years or something like that. That's crazy. <laughs> That's the magic of Hollywood, baby. The kids grab their dad who is plowing the field with a plow hitched to a pig and take him to the river to see the baby. He doesn't want to get involved and tells the kids to just float the baby back down the river. <laughs> He has to abruptly leave when the town curmudgeon rocking the Benjamin Franklin hairdo, Prefect Cut shows up to yellow Willow a bit. He is played by Mark Northover, who has four other credits, which are Hardware, Mac the Knife, The Paradise Club, and A Kind of Hush, all movies I've never heard of. While Willow is distracted, his wife, Kaya, has found the baby with the kids at the river. And Kaya is played by Julie Peters, who has two other credits, The Road to Nowhere and Chronicles of Narnia, Prince Caspian, and The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, that's a mouthful, which was a six-episode BBC series, which also featured Warwick Davis as a character called Reepicheep, Tim Rose, aka Admiral Akbar, as Aslan, and Kenny Baker, aka R2-D2, as Dufflepud, and Jack Purvis, who played a Jawa as Pud Leader. So <laughs> both Jack Purvis and Kenny Baker are also in this movie. So I, I just, I love the Star Wars connections. I love that it seems that either you're playing an elf, Or you're playing, you know, in some sort of science fiction movie if you're a little person. That seems to be where all the work comes from.
0: (laughs) I read that this was the largest, one of the largest casting calls ever for little people. There's like 250 or something showed up.
1: It it broke a record as from what I heard, because I mean, who's it up against? Like Wizard of Oz? Yeah, I think there's far less munchkins in that one. And actually, that's the funny thing. This movie was supposed to be called Munchkin originally. Yeah. But like, I, I can't even think of another movie that has a whole bunch of little people in it willy wonka maybe yeah willy wonka
2: maybe no, no. oh yeah i would say that they have like you know for 19 it was it uh for the year for the time it came out i mean they have like a whole crew of little people they they have uh black people in it they so they they had like they there's there's some representation
1: well I have to contradict you on that one because I, I have a note about this a little bit later, but I might as well bring it up now because you yeah, brought you broached it. the subject. I feel like this movie is actually aggressively white because I actually went back and watched and there are five uh, of the Nelwins that are black. There are two people in the tavern that are black and that's it. None of the soldiers out of all those soldiers on both Eric's side and Queen Bavmorda's side, not a single black soldier. And I, I figure when it came to the little people, I I have a feeling a lot of them only got parts because they were little people. <laughs> Beggars can't be choosers at that point. You take whoever you want. Like, it, it almost feels like they cast on purpose to not get any any representation in this movie so (laughs) like yeah i I do i i I had to go back and double check that though because i realized that tony cox is like one of the only people of color that gets any kind of real screen time and that's because he's part of the away party that that's about to leave so Is
0: is he the like the good fighter
1: yeah well yeah he's well he's not the good fighter he's like just one of the other Oh, okay he's one of the warriors he he's uh he's a guy that you probably know him from like the movie bad santa
0: oh yeah 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 a, um just,
1: yeah yeah there there were a couple other things that he was in he he was an ewok as well i actually wrote his stuff down i'll get to him eventually here
2: i think you know just to speak on it i think like you know yeah absolutely i I think like it's sort of like we're talking like relative terms here Mm -hmm. like for a movie that i don't know like there was um uh a series that just came i just relatively recently the witcher um on netflix and so they they tried to it was and it was supposed to take place in like another version of like eastern europe i think the books were it was based on books that were Polish. Yeah, and so they and when they did the the series for Netflix, they included some people who were black in it, and there was all these complaints I don't know, online about like, well, this was supposed to be like Poland, blah blah, blah and all that kind of stuff. But I think the fact of the matter is, is like this is f- fantasy. Like, yeah, you, it could be whatever you want it to be, right? And it doesn't have to be exactly so. The fact that I think they did, um even though a lot of a lot of fantasy, and you alluded to this, you know, comes from like this Tolkien esque kind of vision of Europe or England or these other kind of places like that, where it's mostly white, you know, um, there's no reason you necessarily have to always follow that. So I think that the the fact that they stuck in any diversity at all, as opposed to none, I think is, you know, I mean, it's probably notable. It's probably it always be better. I mean, there's no Asians, for yeah. sure. Uh, like, you know, they almost always get forgotten in these movies. So, I mean, I think it's like, it could be definitely better.
1: My 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 yeah. thought was that for for the actual like large sized like the full full sized, I I don't know the politically correct way of putting it, but for for all standard. the humans, not the Nelwins. standard in... issue, <laughs> oh, standard the
0: Daikinis,
1: yeah, for the Daikinis, di- <laughs> di- for the fact that there's only two that are in the tavern, and <laughs> like and out of all these army guys, none. I mean, like, I mean, if they had cast a black person.
0: The the I, it would have been Kale. He for sure would have ended up being,
1: <laughs> yeah, but. probably. Yeah, probably would have been
0: bad guy. Like you know,
1: that that tracks.
0: But it's also like no, it's no like stranger. This this is like a comp. Like we did Secret of My Success or whatever. Oh it was, yeah, it was the same. It was the same thing. <laughs> very
1: very much. Anyway, Kaya has of course fallen in love with Alora. So too bad Willow. Even though you say that there's no way this baby is coming home with us ever, the the baby ain't going nowhere. We also get a close-up of Kaya noticing the mark on the baby's arm, just in case we had already forgotten that she's the special baby. The baby, of course, takes to Willow immediately, just like a cat takes to someone that's allergic. He doesn't <laughs> want to take the baby to the town council because it could jeopardize his big day tomorrow, the day the High Aldwyn in the village will choose a sorcerer's apprentice. And the next day is a festival. And this is where you'll see Kenny Baker playing the drums in the band. Willow is performing magic tricks like he's a busker. He's doing uh, stabbing a flaming needle through his arm. And then his big finale of making a pig disappear, which he unfortunately fails at. And making a fool of himself to a bunch of villagers who already think he's a bit of a joke. During this trick, over his shoulder is a guy who I could have sworn was Peter Dinklage. I looked it up. It wasn't. Peter Dinklage didn't actually start acting until 1991 in a movie called Shadow of Fog, where he is both uncredited and, quote, unconfirmed, which I've never before seen on IMDb. Uh, (laughs) His first confirmed credit, I guess, was in 1995, so in a movie called Living in Oblivion. So he definitely wasn't in this movie. Amusingly, though, he was in The Chronicles of Narnia, Prince Caspian. So all those other people that were in Chronicles of Narnia... The, that bbc show he was in like the disney one oh, okay but goddamn peter dinklage has a doppelganger out there i'll tell you that much the high aldwin comes out uh, announcing to bring forth the hopefuls and the high aldwin is played by billy barty who was in legends masters of the universe and of course one of colin's new favorite movies uhf where he played <laughs> noodles the cameraman the apprentice test is him holding out his fingers and having the hopefuls each choose one. Willow goes last. He hesitates like something occurs to to him and ultimately chooses wrong. No apprentice
0: this year. God, that, was, that was the scene where I really wanted an explanation. What, like, what finger was it? So Willow had like two, three fingers to choose from? He had two. There were two left. So you're telling me if he had picked the other one? That was the magic finger? No,
1: but he doesn't because that's explained in just a couple minutes here. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't paying attention. Okay. <laughs> well, at this moment, the wart dogs arrive to fuck shit up because they're hot on the trail of Alora. There's terror in the village, including Willow's own daughter who looks legitimately terrified. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she actually reminds me a lot of young Lana Lang in the first episode of Smallville. That might be a deep cut for some people, but to Smallville fans, you know the kid I'm thinking of. Yeah. It's the picture that's on the cover of Time magazine. I think she looks exactly like that kid at this point. It's so, kind of
0: funny because that scene of her screaming is one of... I haven't watched this movie in 20 years, probably. Yeah. And that scene of her screaming is one of the ones that I remember Just sticks the most.
1: out. Yeah. The warriors in the village killed the wart dogs and realized it was just looking for someone's baby. Willow panics. Kaya! But Kaya is safe at home. Phew. This is too much pressure for Willow. They need to get advice from the village council. So they take Alora to see the council and happen to walk in just as they're discussing what will be done to the person harboring the child, chanting, In the pit! In the pit! And I love Willow's reaction when he just turns around (laughs) and tries to walk out. (laughs) like He might as well just be whistling to himself. the child is spotted by the high aldwin an inspection makes him realize the child is special and after consulting the bones which tell him nothing (laughs) (laughs) determines she must be taken to the crossroads because he's quietly conferring with willow because he asks willow also in an undertone if he has love for the child and willow says yes he does after one night The mission gets approved, and Burglecutt insists that the person that found the baby should be the one to go on the mission, and the first to agree to help on the quest is Migosh, played by David Steinberg, who has 14 credits. He played Widget in Agent 1 Half, Tiny Man in Love and Sex, and Oompa Loompa in Epic Movie. Uh, see, I, I feel kind of bad for the lack of jobs out there for little people in Hollywood. But my favorite credit of David Steinberg's is he played Elf Flunky in the 2003 movie The Hebrew Hammer. Okay, so here's a description of Hebrew Hammer. An Orthodox Jewish black exploitation hero saves Hanukkah from the clutches of Santa Claus's evil son. I think that's a must-watch for this Christmas season. <laughs> Everyone finds the idea of Migosh going laughable, but then Vonkar a- a volunteers, who is played by Phil Caro, who was an uncredited partygoer in The Doors. He was also an Ewok in Return of the Jedi, and he was cousin It in Adam's Family Reunion, and he played Dwarf Rabbi in the <laughs> in the elevator, whatever that movie is. Well, this change in events infuriates the villagers because Vankor is the best warrior they have. In the end, Burglcutt gets voluntold to lead the expedition when the High Aldwin says the bones say so. What is the political structure of this village?
0: I don't know. It seems like the High Aldwin or whatever is kind of the governor. But then Burglcutt seems like he's just de facto voice of the people.
1: Yeah, and he's, <laughs> he's referred to as a prefect. Which, because I know my Harry Potter, you know, prefect is like one of those people that's head of a grade of school. He's one of the, he's one of the snitches in a school, basically. Goody Two Shoes snitch. So he is referred to as a prefect, but I'm under the impression that maybe he's a mayor, but then like the high Aldwyn scene. I just, I don't understand the political structure of this village. Is it an appointed position? (laughs) <laughs> anyway <laughs> Anyway, so we get a newly formed posse, which this is where it includes Tony Cox. Ah oh, yes, that was the other uh credit I was looking for. He was in Leprechaun too with Warwick Davis as quote African American leprechaun. <laughs> and well, yeah, well, one well, of the diversity. One of the only visible minorities in this movie. They are being led to the village limits accompanied by the High Aldwyn who asked Willow about his finger choice because he hesitated. This is where I had it written down. Willow admits he had the dumb idea that he should choose his own finger. And the High Aldwyn confirms that that would have been the right choice. So maybe he has the makings of a sorcerer after all, but lacks confidence. So that's, yeah, that's what Willow was supposed to do is he was, his question is, which finger holds all the power of the world? And Willow was supposed to choose his own finger. So he is gifted a handful of acorns that will turn people to stone. He gets his wife's hair in a braid uh, for good luck. His kids also help fill him in with worry about fairies that can put you to sleep for a hundred years, brownies, dragons, and trolls who will skin you alive and take your face off. (laughs) I wonder how much that kid enjoyed saying that line. The posse is instructed to give the child to the first daikini they see. The High Alwyn throws a rock in the air that turns into a bird and he says, follow the bird, but it's going back to the village ignore the bird follow the river so (laughs) so we see the group on their quest uh and their walking seems to be going well until baby alora starts fussing and pukes on burgle cut i you can't have a fantasy movie without some sort of quest can you
0: no because what would be the point
2: well hero's journey right yeah i I think just, just yeah that's that's the whole thing like it's it's you're going from someone who's like fundamentally like not confident to someone who is Someone who's like, you know, in the beginning, like Willow, he's like, he's focused on his big day. He's focused on his feels. He's really like self focused. Like, even like he leaves his kids by the river. Like, and you know, there's like little kids, and his wife is like, ah, oh. he's like, great parenting, Willow. You know, he's <laughs> kind of like very kind of self absorbed. And so then he goes from that to something who's going to like focus on the greater good.
1: In a van down by the river. Oh. <laughs> so, so... so apparently,
2: apparently, it was something she took issue
3: with, I guess.
1: Yeah. So we get a Lucas-style screen wipe across. I, I'm wondering how much influence George Lucas actually had on this movie, because a lot of it seems very influenced by George Lucas, right down to like these screen wipes that they do that are very Star Wars reminiscent. But we, we get this Lucas-style screen wipe, and we are shown a little bit of Queen Bav Morda's plan to get the baby back. Queen Bav Morda is played by Jean Marsh, who has 101 credits going back to Nicholas Nickleby in 1947. Uh, She was in Hitchcock's Frenzy. A lot of British stuff, including 54 episodes of a show called Upstairs, Downstairs. How British does that sound? Upstairs, Downstairs. (laughs) Uh, And she's going to send General Cale, who is played by Pat Roach, who was in a British series. Why did I write this one down? He was in a British series called Oaf Wiedersehen. It's German?
0: Yeah, Ovidersen.
1: Oh, is that Ovidersen? (laughs) Ah! That makes so much sense. (laughs) Wow. Okay, so it's Ovidersen Pet, which is about seven construction guys that leave England to live in Germany. He was in Conan the Barbarian, Red Sonja, and he was in the first three Indiana Jones movies as different characters. In fact, in Raiders of the Lost Ark, he actually played two different characters in the same movie. (laughs) So... (laughs) General Kale also is interestingly named as a slam against a film critic who is famous for slamming even some of the most beloved movies. So, since I feel like Willow is Star Wars, let's honor Pauline Kale, the the inspiration for General Kale. uh, And I'll read a little bit from her review of Star Wars. The loudness, the smash and grab editing, the relentless pacing drive every idea from your head. For young audiences, Star Wars is like getting a box of Cracker Jack, which is all prizes. This is the writer-director George Lucas' own film, subject to no business interference, yet it's a film that's totally uninterested in anything that doesn't connect with the mass audience. There's no breather in the picture, no lyricism, the only attempt at beauty is in the double sunset. It's enjoyable on its own terms, but it's exhausting too, like taking a pack of kids to the circus. An hour into it, children say that they're ready to see it all over again. That's because it's an assemblage of spare parts. It has no emotional grip. Star Wars may be the only movie in which the first time around the surprises are reassuring. Going a second time would be like trying to read Catch-22 twice. Even if you've been entertained, you may feel cheated of some dimension. A sense of wonder, perhaps. It's an epic without a dream, but it's probably the absence of wonder that accounts for the film's special huge success. The excitement of those who call it the film of the year goes way past nostalgia to the feeling that now is the time to return to childhood. And and I mean, she goes, she goes on. That's only part of it. That's from the New Yorker, September 26th, 1977. Yeah, she goes on to like slam the acting as well. And you can kind of see why George Lucas had a hatred of her and would put the bad guy in as General Kale. And also, interestingly, the two-headed monster that we see later on is, is referred to as the Ebersisk which is an homage to Siskel and Ebers. It, it was never actually, like, published anywhere, but in the script, the creature was referred to as the Ebersist, the two-headed monster. Anyway, General Kale is essentially asked to babysit the queen's own daughter, the warrior Sorsha, who is played by Joanne Wally, who has 80 credits, the man who knew too little, Edge of Darkness, uh, she played Sister Maggie in the Netflix Daredevil. Uh, She was also in Navy SEALs and 12 of her credits are with the name Joanne Wally Kilmer because she and Val Kilmer fell in love on the set and got married for eight years at least they fell in love. Sorsha has so far failed to find the baby and my thought was it was great to see how progressive this movie was and have this female warrior until you realize that her introduction is basically just showing her incompetence. you get this badass warrior bitch, and and it just turns into, like, hold on, sweetheart, men are working here.
0: (laughs) I also thought it odd that, like, right away they tell you that she's going to betray Bavmorda. Yeah! It would have been nice to maybe keep that... On the DL until later, <laughs> not have it be something prophesied.
1: <laughs> yeah, because yeah, the Queen's advisor foreshadowingly tells her that, and she says, "I trust her more than I trust you." Famous last words, Queen <laughs> Bavmorda. So we we Lucas wipe back to the gang of Nelwyn explorers from the village, where they almost get caught by more of the wart dogs, and we get some brief travel montaging, and they come to the crossroads, which are ominous looking with skeletons and cages, all except one which is the temporary home of Mad Martigan, which I always thought was two words. Thanks, subtitles. I I, I didn't realize Mad Mardigan was all one word. But he is played by Val Kilmer, who was Iceman and Top Gun, Jim Morrison in The Doors. He was in The Saint, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I keep bringing that movie up because I love Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. And one of the horny Batmans, as Colin puts it, ba- Batman Forever, he was yeah. Batman. He
0: was the first horny Batman.
1: He was the first horny Batman. <laughs> and, of course, uh, appeared in the Jay and Silent Bob reboot as Bluntman in a cameo, which when he when he removed his mask in that movie... I went, who the fuck is that? Because <laughs> like, I did not recognize Val Kilmer at all. He was also the voice of Kit in Knight Rider. Uh, the, there was a Knight Rider reboot, and he, oh, he was the voice I'm of kidding. Kit. Yeah, it was like one season. And interestingly, Mad Mardigan could have been played by John Cusack.
0: I also read that he could have been played by Rick Mayall. And the only thing I know Rick Mayall from is one of my favorite movies, Drop Dead Fred. And so when is I read- he Fred yeah oh when i read (laughs) when i read that i was picturing mad martigan as drop dead fred and (laughs) i was like that would have been a
1: sweet movie (laughs) we gotta get drop dead fred on the show oh boy oh i'll have a lot to say (laughs) (laughs) so mad martigan manages to grab willow from his cage demanding water from the pack or he dies kind of an empty threat (laughs) i guess peck is a racial slur to the Nelwyn folks he lets go of Willow, and the posse is having a debate about giving the baby to Mad Mardigan because he's the first Daikini they've come across, and that was the mission. But Mad Mardigan is stirring up shit from the cage, egging them on to fight amongst themselves. <laughs> he is so charming in this scene where he's like, Come on, Burgle Cut. Like, he's picking up all their names and, and like, totally trying to influence what's going to happen here. But Willow insists that this is the wrong person to leave the child with, so Burgle says, Fuck this, I'm going home. And everyone follows him except for Migosh, good old, good old trustworthy Sam. <laughs> I mean, <I'm> <laughs> Oh, yep. <laughs> so, Basically. Mad, 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 Mad Mardigan calls Willow Peck a whole bunch more, and Willow threatens to use magic on him, and Willow and Migosh camp the night. But, Colin, I think it's time for a, a little show and tell. So, what did you find this week for show and tell?
0: Maybe Josh will appreciate since he's an author. But yeah, so I actually found that there's a book series based on Willow called The Chronicles of the Shadow War Trilogy, which is a continuation. It it picks up about 10 or 15 years after the events of Willow. And then it basically centers around... Laura Dannon ruling the kingdom, and Willow yeah. Willow reappears, but is then for some reason I didn't look into it too much. But for some reason he ends up changing his name to Thorn. And the 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 main um, I don't know what you want to call it the main gripe that people seem to have with the books is that they end up killing off Sorsha and Mad Mardigan basically in the first chapter of the first Aww. book. So <laughs> you have like your <laughs> fan favorite comedic relief. just killed off right away and then yeah so it's three books called shadow moon is the first book shadow dawn is the second and shadow star is the third book it's the story is based on a story by george lucas but the books were actually written by one of my favorite comic book writers chris claremont so if you don't know who chris claremont is he was famous for basically bringing back the x-men in uh Okay. The 80s and 90s. Yeah.
1: Would would, uh, would Willow Books have been something that you found yourself reading when you were younger? Totally.
0: I mean, I don't think anything like that existed.
2: I think the closest, the only thing I had sort of success with, I don't know if you guys had these, but um, where uh, they would be like a book fair sort of thing that would come to your like yeah. elementary school and then yeah. you would... And then they would have, like, these ones that were published by, I think it was the same publisher that would make, like, Dungeons & Dragons or something like that. It was TSR. And they would have these, like, choose-your-own-adventure, like, fantasy books.
0: Okay.
2: And they were, they were written for, you know, elementary school age kids. Yeah. And um, I just thought that those were the coolest things. Like, I, I can't say I necessarily always understood what was going on because, like, a lot of times, like, when you read these books, they have, like, really hard-to-pronounce words. And as a kid, you're like, I don't know how to pronounce that. So yeah. Yeah, but you just kinda go with it and but they have like the whole map inside and all this other stuff. And you feel like you're part of a big adventure. And so yeah.
1: Yeah, you you know you're you've got a good fantasy book if there's a map in the front. I, I remember one of the series that I was into when I was a kid was called the The Dragon Riders of Pern
3: hmm. by
1: yeah. And McCaffrey, and I couldn't tell you any more what they were about, but but there there was a period in fifth or sixth grade where me and my friends were obsessed with these books.
0: When I was in elementary school, it was all about goosebumps. So,
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, well you've you've found a book series. I've got one up on you here, and I mean, I I I was. I was hoping that I would beat you to finding a musical for this one. I looked really hard. There there is actually a a musical out there called Willow the Musical, but it has nothing (laughs) to do with this. Yeah, Yeah, it's like, you know, three or two couples that the whole story takes place under a willow tree. It has nothing to do with this. But October 21st of this year, it was announced that a sequel to Willow is in the works. I
0: thought that was just too... is too present
1: (laughs) but but not as a movie disney plus is adapting a series based on this universe and warwick davis is expected to return that's about all i know about it at this time but i wonder whether the books that you just mentioned are going to become canon or whether they're just going to end up forgetting that that never happened
0: i mean unless they're planning to recast mad Mardigan and Sorcerer, i mean it would be it's a good true. call on just killing them off right away <laughs> <laughs> i have some show and tell too so no you go
2: yeah you,
1: you go ahead uh, we've never had a guest bring show and tell
2: well yeah i was just like as you're talking about. i was looking on my instagram uh so this is from january 9th 2017 on my instagram account so um there you, you won't be able to see hear this um but you'll be able to see that is a uh uh, an action figure of Mad I I Action figure in quotes, I guess it's like a little figurine. Yeah. yeah. Tonka in the States put out these little things. They're about like two or three inches tall. And they came out uh, at the time of the movie. And uh, when I saw these in the store, you know, I like flipped my shit. So. nice.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, the, the the toys that I found on eBay were, uh, were like the original toys from when this movie first came out. Um, yeah, that's, that's- Is that what that one is?
2: Yeah. I mean, it was – and I don't have it with me. I mean, it was like at my parents' house. So, one time I went home, I took a picture of it. and and Yeah. So, it's – yeah.
1: I I was just – I was surprised to find out that the merchandising deal for Willow was with Tonka. I mean, first of all, I don't even think of Tonka when it comes to action figures. I mean, that's trucks. Yeah. Right? But Star Wars figurines were done by Kenner. So I don't understand why George Lucas wouldn't go right back to them.
0: I had really, I was really trying to find a, uh, General Kale helmet for sale.
1: (laughs) That's kind of a cool helmet. Yeah. And the other thing I found was propstore.com has some things, uh, including scripts from the movie for $795. So if you have an extra, $795 kicking around, you could get yourself a script that was actually on set of Willow. And there we go. That's show and tell. So they are awoken the next morning by a couple horses galloping by and then an army. Mad Mardigan is still locked up trying to get water. The army starts passing them and Willow is trying to give away the baby. This is where we meet Eric... (laughs) Thogbyer, buyer they never actually say his last name eric uh who is played by gavin o'herlihy who uh, we you and i both have trouble with the name o'herlihy that's the second time that we've had that name come up uh he played rcmp constable preston king in twin peaks he was in superman 3 death wish 3 never say never again uh he hasn't acted since 2009 Eric tells Willow to find a woman to care for the child, and then he sees Mad Martigan, who he has a complicated history with, clearly, because although they greet each other like old chums, their conversation ends with Eric telling him he can sit in his coffin and rot. The army finishes passing by. Mad Mardigan, the silver-tongued bastard, finally manages to convince Willow and Migosh that he will care for the child. They set him free and Mad Mardigan sets off with the baby. What I found interesting is, uh, you'll, you'll see Val Kilmer limping in some of the scenes coming up. And that's because when he fell out of the cage, he actually, like, rolled his ankle. And so he is visibly limping in some of the scenes coming up. So Willow and Migosh set back off for home fantasizing about the hero's welcome they'll receive. Although Willow is still questioning whether trusting Mad Mordigan was the correct choice. Spoiler alert, it wasn't because next thing we know the baby comes flying past them being carried by a crow ridden by a brownie. I completely forgot about the brownies. 100% forgot that the brownies even existed in this movie. The C-3PO and R2-D2 of this movie, I completely forgot that they existed. They chase after her, only to encounter a whole herd of brownies? I don't know. It's a murder of crows. It's a a a flock.
0: A sheet of brownies.
1: A sheet of brownies. (laughs) A baking sheet of brownies. Oh, boy. The whole sheet of brownies and they fall in a pit trap trying to escape the onslaught of tiny spears and i guess falling in the pit knocked them out because they end up coming to tied up gulliver travel style a woman's voice coming from a light star calls to the brownies to bring them to her and we have some very rough special effects that show the brownies dragging them away i'm surprised And again, it it always goes back to George Lucas, but this is one of the few properties that I think he still has some sort of control over. I'm surprised he hasn't gone in special edition to Willow yet. (laughs) Cause a lot of the special effects are rough. And I would have expected that he would just go in and CGI that shit right up. The voice scolds the brownies for pestering the Nelwins and tells them to release them. Uh, then the star takes shape as. Cherlindria, who is a fairy queen, I guess. Uh, home, home of the blizzard, the fairy right. queen. No, okay, that 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 one. I'll edit that joke out. <laughs> she and
0: her... <laughs> keep it in so that we can all know your shame.
1: <laughs> <laughs> she and her fairies and brownies have been looking for the baby since birth. She tells Willow that Alora has chosen him as guardian. And he he just takes that right in stride. Wait, what? The baby just told you? Is it Alora Dannon like Jesus?
0: She like is this an allegory? Like four <laughs> months before her birth, she was up there like hanging out with this now ghost queen fairy and. <laughs> The witch wizard who's about to come soon later. And now that she's in, she's in human body, baby form and can't speak, but like, she's this, she's some sort of like weird ethereal being that once she grows up, (laughs) she's gonna take down Bavmort. Like,
1: I, I don't, there's
0: not enough of the backstory. And the mythology. Yeah, I yeah, I explained. don't quite
1: understand yeah, they they don't definitely don't explain how this child will be the downfall of Bav Morda.
0: Yeah, it it never really makes sense to me how how she was meant to overthrow
1: Yeah. Does she have magic powers? Yeah. I don't know. But they must take her to Tyr Asleen, where she will be safe in the hands of a good queen and king. He can get help from and deliver her magic wand to Finn Rizel. Why me? I'm not a warrior. I'm short, even for an Elwyn. says Willow. A little exposition is given about Ilora's importance to bring down evil, but just that she will bring down evil, not why or how. Then the fairy queen disappears. The next morning, Willow sends Migosh home, and the quest continues with two brownies leading Willow and Roselle, who is in exile. Uh, and so C three PO and R two D oh sorry these brownies are Fran Jean, who is played by Ro- Rick Overton, who has one hundred and eighty three credits. He was in Groundhog Day, Eight Legged Freaks, Cloverfield, Mrs. Doubtfire. He was the voice of Rufus in the Bill and Ted Excellent Adventures cartoon. <laughs> and rule who is played by kevin Pollock, who has 146 credits the usual suspects a few good men end of days she's all that the whole nine yards the whole 10 yards and he's uh, he's cupid in the santa claus movies who speak with obnoxious french accents for some reason they enjoy busting willow's balls saying there's no way the power of the wand could be harnessed by a silly peck like him i enjoy the editing with their line though with us as your guides no harm will befall you before cutting to them in the rainstorm. He's come upon a village with a tavern and decides to get out of the rain and go into the tavern. The first woman he sees in the bar, he asks if she can spare some milk for the baby. And with that, it's Sponsorship Corner! (laughs) <laughs> Obviously, because of the setting of this movie, this isn't one that has any actual product placement. So I'm just going to say this week, Willow is brought to you by Milk. Milk. It does a body good. I feel like that was the slogan that was in use when this movie came out. And this has been Sponsorship Corner.
0: You could have included like that what was that love, the broken heart dust?
1: Yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> so in the bar, Willow is hiding under the stairs with Alora, away from the rowdy crowds in a corner and our plucky comic relief brownies get into wacky situations after Rule accidentally gets hit with a dose of fairy love potion when he intends to actually use it to roofie some woman he sees. <laughs> he falls in love with a cat before falling into a keg of beer. A bar fight breaks out, and in the melee, uh, Willow falls through a loose board in the wall and stumbles across Mad Mardigan, who is just bonesome woman and is now disguising himself as a woman to hide from her jealous husband, Lug. The husband barges in, and Mad Mardigan pre- pretends to be Cousin Hilda and takes Elora from Willow so he can also pretend he's a nursemaid. And of course, Lug comes on to Hilda, but before it can get awkward... Soldiers burst in and force them into the bar. Oh, shit! Sorsha has found them! She asks, is that your baby? And Mad Mad Martigan's disguise doesn't fool her, especially because she is so strong, says Sorsha. And he is unmasked. This, of course, throws Lug into a furious rage and a fight breaks out and in the chaos, Mad Mardigan manages to escape with Allura and Willow and the Brownies are chasing after him. Mad Mardigan steals a couple of horses hitched to a cart. Willow and the Brownies make it on just in time. We get the exciting Willow theme and it's a high speed horse chase time. Mad Mardigan fighting people in the cart, Willow trying to get control of the reins, and the Brownies providing plucky comic relief, trying to cut the barrels free, which they managed to do to take out people behind them. Wheels are breaking, people are fighting, the Brownies have their own much lower stakes shit happening. Willow gets control of the reins and stops them, but Mad Mardigan gets them going again because the chase still isn't quite over. He gets them somewhere safer before getting off the cart and slapping the horses to keep them going as a decoy and Willow and Mad Mardigan hide in the bushes. Willow tells Mad Mardigan off, you never drive that fast with an infant. He says, I just saved that infant's life. Mad Mad Mardigan takes off and reluctantly Willow goes after him, admitting he needs help because he's a great swordsman and 10 times bigger than he is. With a look at the baby, it seems Mad Mart- Martin Mardigan is considering it. I'm really having trouble with his name. It <laughs> well, I seems mean,
0: after you say it like twenty times it just gets <laughs> Yeah.
1: It seems Val Kilmer is considering it. They are headed to the lake, and in a moment of overacting mad martigan says oh no i'm going that way is this a ruse is mad martigan like pretending that like does he actually want to help in this moment and that's why he's overacting and saying oh no that's the way i'm going
0: yeah i think i think mad martigan at this point is just looking for something to do yeah. Like, I don't know what he was doing before he got locked up in the cage, but clearly he was on the losing end of something. So I think <laughs> he's a soldier or a master swordsman without a sword or an army to fight for.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I was just wondering whether he wants to help, but doesn't want it to look like he wants to. I I don't know.
0: We very get a, Han Solo-esque.
1: Very hand see, there we go. The scoundrel. We, we get another scene showing the queen and Kale admitting the child still isn't found. Time is running out. Back to Willow and Mad Mardigan camping for the night. Willow starts playing with the wand and accidentally zaps himself into a tree. I, I kind of like the reaction from Mad Mardigan of, Willow, Willow, oh, what are you doing up there? Next morning, Mad Mardigan is giving the baby blackroot. Never give a baby blackroot. But i turned out fine it puts hair on your chest <laughs> she doesn't need hair on her chest but matt Mardigan gets them safely to the lake and then he takes off because at this point this is all he promised he'd do and willow has to row out to an island in the middle of the lake leaving Alora in the care of the brownies who will guard her with their lives uh, on the island he finds the exiled Finn razelle who is played by Patricia Hayes who we talked about in episode 7 when she was Urgel in the Neverending Story her last credit was 4 years after she died in a Crispin Glover movie called Crime and Punishment but right is she now the wench yeah, ah. yeah to the wench wench absolutely right now we don't see her as a human but as a talking I looked it up brush-tailed possum is what she is I was wondering, like, is that a squirrel or what? I but was curious. She's a brush-tailed possum. Willow explains who he is. Uh She says, take me to the baby. He presents the gift of the wand to her. And she tells Willow to use the wand to turn her human. And he confesses he isn't a sorcerer. And Razel is all, what's that bitch Sherlindria playing at sending me a non-sorcerer? They get back to where the baby and the brownies are, and you may notice that Willow's hair is wet in this scene, and that's because of a deleted scene just before this that involved one of the acorns getting dropped and turning the boat to stone and sinking. So that's why his hair is wet, but it's never explained. They get back just uh, in time to have Mad Mad Mardigan reappear, all beat up, tied up, and accompanied by the bad guys. The one soldier punches him off the horse with about six inches of space between his fist and Mad Mardigan's face, but Val Kilmer really sells it. Followed by a kick in the face from Sorsha, which is also really bad stage fighting, when Mad Mardigan says, I still have what counts. That's what sets her off and makes her kick him in the face. Shit, they've got Laura, and they have our heroes chained up, and they're forced to walk behind a cart with Rezel in the cage. And there's a little angry hate flirting going on between Sorsha and Mad Mardigan. What are you looking at? Your leg. I'd like to break it. I mean, if I were Mad Mardigan, I think I'd be like, I have the strangest boner right now. (laughs) (laughs) Because, like, there's some real hate chemistry going on here. Rizelle is busy trying to teach Willow magic from her cage, which in a way reminded me of Luke on the Millennium Falcon learning how to use a lightsaber. They travel miles and miles. Mad Martigan eventually having to carry Willow on his shoulders to keep up. They get to a base camp for the night, and while in prison, Willow is trying to turn Roselle human. Well, why wasn't the wand taken away? You think Sorsha would recognize a magical item? Seems how that. she has a witch mother. Yeah, but
0: Bev just she's like a a hands witch, you know, like she has <laughs> got like the power within her. She doesn't need a. Uh conduit of any kind yeah and i mean that wand i don't know to me it reminds me of when i was a kid and i would just find sticks by the river and like play with (laughs) yeah that's very unassuming yeah
1: like harry potter is strong on their wand game this one this weird twisted piece of wood and another one of those things that doesn't really get explain what's important about this wand when he gets it in the first place so he needs to concentrate Willow Willow is trying to turn her back human, and the brownies show terrible timing by arriving at just the right moment. Ah, comic relief sidekicks. Mad Mardigan asks what Rizelle looks like, and she says, I'm a young, beautiful woman, and Mad Mardigan says, Concentrate, Willow. <laughs> I love how Mad Martigan spends a lot of time thinking with his dick. He only manages to succeed in transfiguring her into a crow, and the brownies attempt to pick the lock on the cage and Mad Mardigan is impatient and tried to do it himself, and out of frustration, Jean hits him with the only weapon at his disposal, the pouch uh, full of the dust of the broken hearts. So he's just roofied Mad Mardigan. They escape their cages and have to find Alora. She's in Sorcha's tent. Mad Mardigan sneaks in to get the baby, and but when he sees Sorcha sleeping, the love potion kicks in. He professes his love to the sleeping Sorsha, who wakes up with a knife to his throat. She's confused and clearly torn by his declaration, but while he has her distracted, Willow has also snuck in to get the baby. But Willow got caught and is dragged back in by the guard, and Sorsha yells, Deceiver! At this point, was Sorsha actually into it? (laughs) It seems that way.
0: There's no explanation as to why, but...
1: Yeah, I... Like, I don't understand why... Her character changes so drastically from the badass bitch I mentioned in the beginning to like she she's just like a gushing schoolgirl at this point.
3: I think movies like this paint a somewhat unrealistic uh, a depiction of, of the uh, courtship uh, ritual for, for young men. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, anything that constitutes like staring, uh, like what you talked about in your Lost wow. voice episode, staring is OK.
1: Yeah, yeah, just on eye contact. I think it'll be, yeah. So we get a little sword play from Mad Mardigan. Willow says, you are great. And the scoundrel Mad Mardigan kisses Sorsha in a very hand Solo-like way. And Sorsha is left with obvious mixed feelings. He and Willow get on a shield and use it like a toboggan to race away down the snowy mountain. I would have liked a Christmas vacation moment here. Like, <laughs> I would have liked him spraying it with his special uh, cereal... Uh, shellac that he has and f- flying down at high speed. Uh, but they fly down the hill on their sled and at one point Mad Mardigan falls off but Willow keeps going and ends up crashing in a village that ends up being the hiding place of Eric and the other army and Mad Martigan ends up crashing a minute behind him in a giant snowball that is formed <laughs> around his tumbling body like he's a fucking Looney Tunes cartoon. <laughs> That
0: was the best.
1: I, is this actually legitimately possible? No. <laughs> like, he would have been dead, right?
0: Well, I don't know. When you look at it, it looks like his head is fully covered. Yeah,
1: his feet his are feet sticking out. <laughs> so the po- the potion has worn off in the crash, I guess. He, he doesn't remember confessing his love to Sorsha. I don't love her. She kicked me in the face. I hate her. Don't I? <laughs> Some of Mad Mardigan's lines are fantastic. Kale is close behind and they hide in the cellar where Eric is. Alora starts crying lustily, according to the subtitles that I was watching. That's, that's how it's described in this moment. It says that she is crying lustily. But Rizelle, as the bird, starts squawking to try to cover it up. Sorcha goes to explore the cellar and ends up getting taken at knife point by Mad Mardigan hostage taken mad martigan has decided he serves the Nelwyn because uh, eric is busy calling him a thief and he tries to recruit eric to join their fight it doesn't look like he's going to but uh, he at least gives him an opportunity to escape mad martigan and sorsha are on the horse and have a bit of a lover's spat with this weird crazy angry sex energy that they've got going on and the thing that sets her off and makes her fight back all of a sudden is Mad Mardigan saying that the feelings just kind of went away. <laughs> so <laughs> up until okay, uh, up until then, she actually seemed okay with being a hostage. But she elbows him; they wrestle a bit, but ultimately she escapes, and they have to let her go because the bad guys are are too close behind. And they gallop off and end up at Tir Elene, which is a ghost town with people frozen in crystals. The work of Bav Morda, I don't understand the crystals. Is this another situation where we just needed a bunch more explanation? (laughs)
0: Yeah. We needed someone to just be like, oh
1: man, this is the place where this happened. (laughs) right? (laughs) So Mad Mardigan says this place is cursed and this was a terrible plan. And there are also trolls they discover when Mad Mardigan steps in troll shit. And they'll have to make a stand, and Mad Mardigan finds the armory, which he loves, uh, plus some armor, which is I I don't like his armor.
0: I definitely don't like the helmet. Yeah. I don't mind I don't mind the actual armor, but the helmet
3: is a bit odd.
1: Yeah. Willow once again tries to transform Rizelle, but this time only succeeds in turning her into a goat. And the two of them start arming the castle for defense, and Mad Martigan gets the front gate barred just in the nick of time. Kale and his army go in search of a battering ram. Willow is trying to get Alora to safety, and ends up attacked by a troll that was crawling on the bottom side of the bridge he's on. Fucking terrifying, even though they look really fake, but... Just the idea of it is t- terrifying, like, you know, these trolls with Spider-Man abilities. Yeah. He uses his wand, and he ends up turning it fucking inside out? <laughs> 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 and he kicks it into the moat. So, this is where the Eborcist comes from, right? Is that what this is? He he kicks it in... Like- well, they
0: refer to the, the Eborcist as, like, a snake. Yeah. So I was
1: like, was that thing in the moat the whole time? Or is this like bloody inside out troll? Like, did he cast a spell that ultimately created this big dragon?
3: Hmm. I think it was the latter. Yeah. That was my question. Yeah.
1: So maybe Willow should stop doing magic then. (laughs) So he kicks this, I guess it's now like a bloody seed into the moat. And it starts growing uh, a two-headed monster. Mad, Mag- Mad Mardigan is being a one-man army, keeping everybody at bay when the fire-breathing two-headed Sis comes up behind him. And everyone runs away and we get the classic comedy moment of misunderstanding when Mad Mardigan thinks that he has scared them off. And he has that he's standing right behind me moment before running out the front gates himself... Which turns into get him and everyone runs back in the gates after him. I I do love though, when he goes out with the army. Yeah. And then there is that moment of looking around and realizing, oh, wait, I'm on the wrong side of all this. But Mad Mardigan, he's still Rambo, using all his skills and his set traps to hold them all off while the Eversys continues wreaking havoc as well. It's now going after Willow. Everyone's attention is split between finding the baby, killing the beast, going after Mad Mardigan. Willow is fighting trolls. There's another bad stage combat moment when Mad Mardigan kicks someone down the stairs with several inches of air between his foot and the guy's face. Mad Mardigan launches himself on a catapult to save Willow, kills a troll, jumps on the Eber, says, stabs it in the head, and the whole time Sorsha is just kind of just standing there watching, getting a lady boner. <laughs> she, she kisses Mad Mardigan and then starts fighting with him. And in the end, Eric and his men, and thank God the brownies, show up to help, but it's too late. General Kale has taken Alora. So they go after him, and they plan to storm Bavmorda's castle, and Mad Mardigan, Sorcha, Willow, and Eric's army set up camp in front of the castle, and the queen comes out to the ramparts to mock them, and with quick thinking, Rizelle gets Willow to cast a shelter charm on himself, because moments later, Bavmorda turns everyone else into pigs in a bit of a nightmare fuel scene of everyone mid-transformation, and... Oh my god, like this is. One of the creepiest. Ugh. Yeah, and this is one of those scenes that does stand out from when I was a kid where it's like, oh, this, this is still like terrifying. Yeah. Except for when, uh, Val Kilmer is mid transformation, he does remind me of the palace guards, J- Jabba's palace guards in Return <laughs> of the Jedi. The, the half man, half pig look that he's got going on. But you know I I also can't stop thinking of Warwick Davis as Professor Flitwick with all this magic stuff except that the Harry Potter wands are much nicer. With everyone now being swine and not a concern, Bavmorda begins her ritual with Alora freaking the fuck out in her little S&M swaddling blanket. Willow was fortunately not turned into bacon because of his charm, and now the pressure is on more than ever to change Rizal back into human form, and he starts casting the spell, turning her from goat to ostrich to peacock to tiger, and finally succeeds. She's people again! Yay!
0: But not a young woman. But,
1: but definitely not a young woman like she had promised Mad Martigan. But now that she's human, or I i guess Daikini, maybe I should be saying, Rizal sets to work restoring all the pigs back to their original form. One at a time? Like, he's letting them into the tent one at a time. Wouldn't this take forever? Like, why can Bev Morda magic in bulk? And, and with no wand even... But, like, she needs this wand and she can only change back this army one pig at a time. So, when everyone is human again, they come up with a plan to get in the castle using Willow's gopher problem as inspiration. And the next morning, the camp looks deserted and Rizel and Willow approach the castle alone, demand that they surrender because they're all powerful sorcerers and they'll destroy them. And this gets them to lower the drawbridge to send out some people to go kill them. But, psych! Everyone is hiding in holes underground! How did they dig the holes big enough for horses in one night? I don't know. <laughs> That's a fundamental flaw in this plan, is, like, you know, none of the guards saw them digging holes underneath the tents or anything. And, like, these holes are big enough for multiple horses to be coming out of each hole.
3: Yeah. There was another part, actually. It was the first attack on the other castle. Yeah. Where they they, they, they cut down the street to make this battering ram. Yeah. But then you clearly see, like, when the gates are closed, there's, like, a gap in between, and Mad Martin sticks this, like, plank of wood in there. Uh-huh. So why didn't you just, like, stick something in the gap and then push the, <laughs> the plank of it out, right? Which would have taken, like, probably five minutes or
1: They just need to possible. pull out a credit card and... <laughs> yeah,
3: they had to chop down a tree, a huge <laughs> one, of course, cut all the branches up, make this battering room which took forever and then knock knock it down like you know to knock this little like it was like a two by four or something like that.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, it, it really but, wasn't uh, like, a very big or even very thick looking piece of wood. So they storm the castle and they're kicking all kinds of ass while the battle rages in the courtyard. Sorcia Willow and Roselle have gone for the baby. Roselle and Bev Morta face off in a big magic showdown.
0: To go back to Lord of the Rings, their showdown reminded me a lot of, um, Gandalf vs. Saruman. <laughs> but like, yeah. the, the sloppy B-rated version, <laughs> like not, not the fine polished, like if, if Saruman and Gandalf are the UFC, Bavmorta vs. Rizal is like, I don't know. Hobo fights, <laughs>
1: <laughs> alley bum fights, <laughs>
0: <And> backyard brawlers. <laughs> well, yeah, because
1: like at one point, like Roselle isn't even saying words; she's just like, blah, 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 <laughs> and and that's that's when she's like, she's throwing uh, Bev Morda like up against the ceiling and back and forth. Like, she, yeah, that we've got fire turning to ice, people. Th- thrown around like right doll's lightning flying tables coming to life there's a fight over the wand and while the two women are distracted willow goes for alora downstairs the fight goes on kale kills eric and mad mardigan goes for revenge they have a big sword fight with each other and with a couple of really nifty spin moves and using his foot to angle a sword up he dispatches of kale Upstairs, Willow has managed to get Allura. Bavmorda stops him leaving, and he tries to use one of his acorns on her to turn her to stone. But Bavmorda is too powerful for this magic, and she wills the stoning to stop in some more pretty bad special effects. But from what I read, though, is this was something that they didn't do with CGI. So all the things like the stone and, and the fire and the ice... All of this was actually like hand painted into the, the film? into the film, yeah. Huh. So that's how they actually did these special effects. And same with like the her morphing from one animal to another. This was a groundbreaking technology that they came up with in order to do that. It doesn't look good anymore, but at the time this was like one of the greatest. This was as cool as the T1000 at the time, yeah. you know. Willow cons Bavmorda saying he'll send the baby somewhere she can't get him because he's he's a great and powerful sorcerer all on his own. He pulls off the pig trick that didn't work in the beginning. Classic misdirection. And for some reason, Bavmorda ends up struck by lightning and evaporating into a cloud of red smoke, huh? (laughs) Like she she holds up the wand and it acts like a lightning rod or something and now she's red mist. I I don't understand how magic. And it just shows that Rizal just was just buying time basically <laughs> waiting waiting for nature to do the trick. So
0: the baby is meant to destroy Bevmore. Is uh-huh. that not the thing?
1: Yeah. But she de- like she's just lying there the whole time. <laughs> yeah. I-, I thought there if There's the just... baby had shot the lightning, it would have been different. If she if she had gotten like Emperor Lightning fingers, you know you know what this,
0: <laughs> cu- this what this could have been to go back. to? I know you love Harry Potter, but this remi- this could have been the like the the child the the girl who lived moment <laughs> where she goes to like use the wand and the magic bounces back and turns her into red mist. I, I should re- I could rewrite Willow and make it so much better. <laughs> so i would just steal like it like it has already stolen so much from what came before it i could steal what from what has become after it
1: uh, yeah i I think uh we've really driven home the point that this is very much lord of the rings and this is very much star wars and this is yeah there's a lot of movies like this but once everything has calmed down uh, presumably sometime later i have to assume because everyone is all cleaned up at this point uh, Sorsha is all maternal now, Willow is presented with a book of magic from Zell, and Willow is sent home on a pony, and he gets home to the hero's welcome he deserves, and turns a piece of fruit into a bird that promptly shits on Cut, and he's reunited with his family, and everyone's crying. The end.
0: It's funny to me that, like, I'm assuming that Sorsha and Mad Mardigan end up becoming the king and queen that will take care of Alora Dannon?
1: Well, standing right behind them are uh, a couple of really old-looking people in white robes that I assumed were the king and queen. Oh, okay. Yeah, so maybe they're just honorary members of the kingdom now? I don't know. Who knows? There (laughs) isn't enough
0: explanation.
1: So, that's Willow. (laughs) Now, Colin, Josh, on IMDb it scored 7.3 out of 10 and had a Metascore of 47. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has 51% on the Tomato Meter and an audience rating of 79%. So critics hated it. Audiences loved it. Colin, those are just numbers. What do people have to say about this movie?
0: Yeah, critics didn't, weren't fans. I'm going to start with the, uh, we've gone over (laughs) it, but the ebor Sis combo. So Roger Ebert said... Even the largest budgets and the most meticulous special effects are only dead weight unless they have a story to make them move. And at the story level, Willow is a turgid and relentlessly predictable. Not much really happens, and when it does, its pace is slowed by special effects set pieces that run too long and seem to be recycled out of earlier movies. And then Gene Siskel, Willow is actually the movie of the week for the Chicago Tribune uh, when he did his review, so he says... Our flick of the week is Willow, the latest failure from the George Lucas (laughs) production
1: team. Nice.
0: Coming after Howard the Duck, one has to question whether (laughs) Star Wars creator Lucas has anything fresh to offer in the world of entertainment. There isn't a single major character in the film who is engaging.
1: While lumped in with Howard the Duck for that review. Nicely done, Siskel. And
0: I want to end on a positive. So even though this movie isn't certified fresh under her... Sheila Benson from Los Angeles Times said, If it evaporates from memory with the airness of a bubble bath, at least it leaves a friendly glow and a sense of magical world lovingly
1: evoked. <laughs> right on. Josh, you had a very strong opinion, it sounded like, in the beginning. When we, when we first started, you said you were going to save it for later. So what, what is your opinion of Willow now that you've rewatched it?
3: Yeah. So, I mean, I really liked it as a kid. Um, I watched it again a couple of years ago. Uh, okay. and I think, um, and I was like, Oh, wow. You know, I, I thought it held up pretty well then. I don't know. This time rewatching it, um, I found it both, I mean, I still liked it. Um, but I, I think I, I found it, uh, alternating like, uh, cheesy and some parts were just kind of almost kind of like slow I, or, or maybe. Like it 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 really kind of felt like they could have edited it out a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, and and so there there were whole patches of it that I didn't really remember. Like I like you, I totally forgot that there were brownies in there. Yeah. And I, I didn't actually. I don't know. I didn't find them. I remember as a kid, I thought they were kind of funny, but now. I didn't for some reason i thought they were kind of annoying <laughs> <laughs>
1: very obnoxious yeah I, they, they had some yeah. good moments i mean their 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 chemistry was fun uh, you know we go that way no we go that way which way that way right like i mean they, they right. kept having that running joke there they had a few fun yeah. moments but yeah uh, overall they were silly to have in there
3: right i i, I still thought the uh, Mad Marquis, his sword tricks, and and those kind of scenes were 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 good. I still yeah. I remember mean, like kid and I still like those. Now, but the the romance part of it, it it had there's probably a need for this. Maybe you guys know what it is. It's this weird thing that happens in Hollywood that's probably responsible for a lot of rapings. Where it's like there's like we're we're, we're fighting, we hate each other, and then suddenly they started kissing. It's like it it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. And I don't know. I just thought that that was weird. Yeah. And, um they they probably could have made it um smooth it out a little bit more so uh, yeah it was kind of a more mixed bag i think the 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 couple the the time a couple of years ago when i rewatched it i was like oh, that was for nostalgia and this time around i cuz it was a little bit fresher um i was able to see it a little bit a little bit more clearly
1: yeah so colin what about you what what's what's your opinion of willow on this watch
3: um
0: i don't know it's interesting for me i definitely didn't dislike it it's a movie that I would still watch, but it is kind of interesting because the last time I would have watched it and when I watched it when I was younger, like I had no frame of reference for what came before it. Like I would have, I didn't, hadn't seen Star Wars then. I didn't watch Star Wars before I watched Willow. I hadn't seen or even read like the Lord of the Rings. So I didn't know what happened there. So I remember watching it back then and thinking like, It was more original, I think. Yeah. Whereas now, you know, I've seen so much of, like, movies in a similar vein that have done it way better that it's kind of hard (laughs) to go back and watch it and be like, oh, well. It honestly, when I was watching it, I was like, this seems like a first draft movie. It seems like this was George Lucas's, Just he just wrote it. This was his first draft and then they made it. Like, there's just... It's one of those movies that I think a lot could be added to it and make it a lot better. So it is kind of cool that they're going to make the TV show. Yeah. Because I think if you expanded the mythology of Willow and explained a little bit more of the land and even the characters and who they are and the, the interaction between the different races of people and all that kind of stuff, like you never even really understand who Bav Morda is. Or how she came to be or...
1: And and now you probably never will Yeah, to kill her off.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So it's just that's that's the type of thing that I really like in my fantasy. Like when I read fantasy novels or watch fantasy movies, those are really the types of things that I like to have...
1: The backstories.
0: Yeah, explained (laughs) in order for me to really get invested in it and enjoy it.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a part of me that wants to know, what did Mad Mardigan do to get in that cage, for example? Yeah,
0: And I do agree with you guys with the brownies. I remember loving the brownies when I was a kid. And then when they came on the screen, I kind of just felt like they were always weirdly in the way, but also disconnected from everyone else. Like It really seemed to me like a lot of their stuff was filmed without everybody else around yeah. like it was put in after the fact
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, and they made a second draft of the script somewhere between filming yeah. their stuff and the, <laughs> the but, full-size yeah. stuff
0: but that means it is it is a movie that i still think i would be like oh you, you still should watch it yeah so that's kind of where i fall
1: on it. I, and, and i think that's very much where i fall too is that Yeah, in a few years, I can see myself picking this up again. I I can see myself watching the TV series when it comes out. Yeah. You know, and even watching this before I watch the TV series, I I, I can see that happening. I think for me, I, I fall somewhere between the critics and the audience. Like, I don't think I can go as high as 79.
0: Yeah, I was really I was really shocked to see that the audience rating was that yeah, was that high.
1: But I I I like it more than the critics do. Like I I'd fall somewhere in the mid 60s, I think. You yeah. know, and you know, it's still very watchable and I'd still tell people to watch it, but it's not as good as I remember, especially now that I realize that it's not very original, just like you did, you know? Yeah. Because even even the, the comparison or the, the figuring out that it's Star Wars on this watch, I mean, uh, it's, I, since the, my last viewing of this movie, I've also seen Lord of the Rings. So it's been at least since the first Lord of the Rings since I've seen this movie. So I'm like you, where it's like, yeah, it was more original to me before. Yeah. But now that I know a bit more, yeah, not so much. Well, that's Willow, and that's our show for this week. A uh, big thank you to our special guest, Josh Blum. Josh, uh, if people want to find you on the Internet, where can they find you?
3: Yeah, so uh, thanks for having me. You can go to website 13thhr.wordpress.com. I wrote a book called The Thirteenth Hour, and so uh, a lot of the stuff that on the Internet uh, has that in the handle. Um, and uh, you can find books and uh, on Amazon uh, and music on Bandcamp and YouTube and
1: things
3: like that, uh, and then on Instagram. Maybe um, just search my name to find. it.
1: Yeah, and I, I know in my introduction of you, I mentioned author and podcaster, but you you are also an illustrator, and you are also a musician as well. Like you you do original music and 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 art for your books as well, don't you? Right. Yeah,
3: I think it's probably due to movies like this that um, having just writing a book just often seemed kind of a little bit too one-dimensional. It felt like it should be like it should have music and it should have visuals. You know, it should have the full experience uh, to go with it because they were influenced by 80s fantasy and sci-fi movies. So they need to make the synthesizer soundtrack and the visuals. (laughs) And a map. of course, they need a map yeah not yeah, in the beginning of the book <laughs> yeah,
1: they definitely didn't need a map as a fellow podcast that that has a synthesizer sounding uh theme song you know i can definitely appreciate the need for uh for that nostalgic synthesizer feel sometimes but okay, thank you for joining us. If you like that show, one thing you can do to really help us out on the business end is go to whatever app it is you listen to your podcasts on and give us five stars. doesn't matter what you say. You could explain this movie to us. <laughs> explain the backstory that we may have missed, even though I had subtitles on. It, it's not for our egos. It's just it's those five stars. They drive us up the charts, and they help us get noticed.
0: And if you want to reach us, you can email us at I used to like this one all one word, at gmail.com. And also check out our website, iusedtolikethisone.com. There you can find links to all our social media, our Twitter, our Instagram, our Facebook. Social media is going to be the best way for you to find out what we're watching so you can watch it too and then come join the
1: ride. I used to like this one now also has a Patreon page so you can go to patreon.com slash I used to like this one if you want to do more than sharing if you want to do more than word of mouth and you actually want to donate to us you can go to patreon.com slash I used to like this one I Used to Like This One is created by, hosted by, and produced by Sean Wells and Colin Stewart. It is edited by Sean Wells. Music by Lyndon Carter. Look for his band Carter and the Capitals anywhere you listen to music. Thank you for listening. And join us next week when we take a look at another movie on. I Used to Like This One.